Uh, if it's your first time here, uh, welcome to the Chapel Sydney. For those listening on uh, podcast, uh, we welcome you as well. My name's Anthony, but most people call me Tony. Uh, and before we look at the passage today, I'd like to introduce myself a little bit. So uh, I've been attending the chapel since 2013, and um, I'm also an intern board member. Uh, board member. So one of my jobs is to oversee uh, the people of the chapel and to make sure that you're doing well, and if you're not, uh, to help you find ways and uh, to support you in your walk with Christ. So if I haven't had a chance to speak with you personally, please come and say hi. I'd like to get to know you uh, better. Uh, so as you know, Pastor Steve is on holidays with his family, and he's graciously invited me uh, to preach today. It's actually my first time preaching, and it's an honor and privilege to be able to share God's word with you. Uh, Pastor May asked me to preach on a parable in Luke, but I've chosen one from Matthew, which is also in Luke, and, but we're going to be looking at the version from Matthew today. Uh, so let's go through the uh, passage. Um, if you can turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, verse 1 to 14. Matthew 22, verse 1 to 14. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. We're going to bring it up on the, sc- on the screen. So follow, follow along with me. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and they gathered all the people that they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Lord, it's a privilege to have this opportunity to share your word with your people. I pray that I would preach your word faithfully and that it would be both challenging and encouraging to our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What an interesting story. You know, my lovely wife and I, sitting in front, um, in the front row here, we've been married for almost two years. Um, and there's a picture from our wedding. Uh, as you can see, it's, we're uh, enjoying ourselves. It's a fun occasion. You dress up, you eat good food, drink nice wine, and have a great time with your friends and family. Can I just get a show of hands? Who's been to a Korean wedding before? 
Hands up, yeah. Like I'm talking about where there's uh, three, four hundred, uh, five hundred people there and uh, there's a buffet lunch. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. One thing that I've noticed at every Korean wedding is that there's always this middle-aged Asian man who turns up in sneakers, chinos, and a polo shirt. Right? It looks like he's about to go play golf. He doesn't care about the ceremony, the emotions. Yeah, we've got a picture right here. He doesn't care about the ceremony, the emotions, the joy, the memories. He doesn't care about who's getting married. And he doesn't even want to talk to the bride and groom. He's there for one reason. Can you guys guess? Yeah. It's the cooked prawns and sashimi. Right? Don't be that guy. Just keep that in mind for later in the sermon. All right, so let's look into the context of this passage. Uh, before this passage that we've just read, in the previous chapter, Jesus goes to the temple in Jerusalem and starts teaching. And he causes a bit of a scene when the Pharisees try and test him and they challenge his authority. So who is a Pharisee? A Pharisee is someone within a sect of Judaism, so they're a, a, a part of the Jewish religion, who believes that the way into heaven is by strict observance of the Old Testament laws. And so Jesus rebukes these Pharisees by telling them three parables. And the parable of the wedding feast that we've just read is the last out of the three. So in this parable, Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a king who puts on a wedding feast for his son. Now it's important to understand that Jesus isn't just talking about heaven or how to get into heaven. He's actually talking about whether God reigns and rules in your life, in the present and in the next. So if you think Christianity is just about going to heaven, you're actually missing the point. It's also about Jesus being the king and the person who has the say in your life. End of sermon. Let's pray. I'm just kidding. Okay, so in this parable, who is the king and who is the son that he's put on a wedding feast for? So God the Father is the king and Jesus is the son. So the king's prepared this lavish and extravagant wedding feast and he's already sent the invites out months in advance, and the guests have RSVP'd. But now it's time for them to come. So the king sends out his servants to tell these guests to come. And what do they do? They refuse. Now personally, if I had sent out wedding invites, and my guests had RSVP'd, and then on the day they refused to turn up, I'd be pretty upset, wouldn't you? Yeah. So the king does something unexpected. He sends out his servants again, and then he tries to convince them to come. He gets his servants to tell the guests that he's prepared this amazing food, the best cuts of steak, the best wine, the best cake in all the land. Personally, my favorites are tiramisu. Verse 4. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. All they need to do is turn up, but what do they do? Verse 5. 
But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field and another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So what do these guests do? They pay no attention to the king. Instead, some of them go to work. The others, they seize the king's servants, they torture them, and then kill them. Isn't that crazy? So who are these invited guests that Jesus is talking about in the parables? Can anyone guess? It's the Pharisees. The king gets angry, and rightly so. He sends his army and kills the invited guests, their families, burns their houses, and all their belongings. I don't know about you, but uh, it seems a little bit excessive, doesn't it? I mean, they just didn't want to go to the wedding. They were busy and obviously had better things to do. I mean, a few people said that they couldn't make it to my wedding, but I, I can assure you that killing them and burning their houses down wasn't the first thing that came to mind. But why does this king respond in this way? Well, you have to understand the actions of the guests. The invites were sent out beforehand. They'd already RSVP'd saying that they would come. And when the time comes for them to attend the banquet, they don't turn up. And it's not for any good reason either. You've got to remember this. Instead of being offended the first time around, the king, out of his patience and mercy, sends out more servants and tries to gently invite them in. He even reminds them about the delicious food that he's prepared, and he doesn't force them. But they refuse to come, because why? Their work, their money, and their time are more important than the king and his son. Not only that, but they even kill some of his servants. See, when you kill the messenger of a king, do you know what that means? Who's seen the movie 300? Who's seen the movie 300, yeah? You know that scene where King Leonidas, he kicks that Persian uh, messenger down into the well? When you kill the messenger, it's actually a declaration of war. It's an act of rebellion. So going back to the context of the parable, when the Pharisees say that they'll be attending the kingdom of heaven and that God is the most important thing in their lives, they're actually like the guests who refuse to come. Because what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is that he himself is the invitation to the kingdom of heaven. But what do these Pharisees do? They reject Jesus, the invitation, and in doing so, they declare war against God. Even when Jesus is telling them this parable, he's foreshadowing the ultimate rejection that's about to come. If we read in the next verse, uh, verse 15, then the Pharisees went out and, played, and laid plans to trap him in his words. Jesus already knows that the Pharisees are planning to kill him. See, what the Pharisees believed is that in order to enter the kingdom of God, that you had to look a certain way, that you had to act a certain way, and that you had to be a good person and do things a certain way. This is how legalistic they were. On the Sabbath, they weren't allowed to lift a spoon heavier than a fig because that would be considered doing work. 
So they literally had to weigh a spoon against a piece of fruit. That's how legalistic they were. Because they believed that they could enter the kingdom of God by following these ridiculous man-made laws. But what Jesus is telling them is that he is the way and that they can only enter the kingdom through him. He's saying that he is the invitation. The Pharisees are so focused on keeping the laws that they fail to see Jesus for who he really is. Next slide, please. And then we get to the turning point of the story. Verses 8 to 10. The king says, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not come, did not deserve to come. So go into the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people that they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. So what does God the Father do? He takes away the kingdom from the Pharisees, and it's not just the Pharisees, but it's anyone like them, and then he gives it to anyone who will accept his invitation. Friends, this is the most profound and amazing part of this parable. We, you and I, are the people who have been invited off the streets. We weren't originally invited into God's kingdom because that was originally only for his chosen people, the Jews. But God, out of his mercy and grace, has extended this invitation to us through his Son. It's through Jesus' death on the cross for our sins and his resurrection that we've been invited into the Father's kingdom. It's not about how good you are or how bad you are, because no one is worthy We've all sinned. Romans 3.23 tells us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our sinful nature means that we want to be the king of our lives, and we try and take God's place. And when you try and dethrone the rightful king, what happens? You guys have all seen the movies. People try and, and take the throne from the king. What happens to them? Yeah, they get executed. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. It's clear what we deserve. Now some of you might say, Wow, that's really unfair. That's so mean and cruel. But let's take a step back and look at the big picture. God doesn't have to invite you into his kingdom. There's no obligation. It's his wedding feast. So if I compare it to my own, um, let's grab that. It's like me having a multi-million dollar wedding reception and inviting random people off the streets. Who are they to say that they deserve to come to my wedding? They don't even know me. But here's the thing that blows my mind. God, out of his mercy and love for us, invites us into his kingdom. All we have to do is accept his son, Jesus Christ, and what he's done for us. See, Jesus died in our place. We deserve to die for declaring war against God. But instead, God sends his own son to us, own son to die for us. And not only that, but we get to inherit his kingdom. It's really important for us to understand. 
It's a free invitation. You can't buy it, you can't earn it, and we certainly don't deserve it. All we can do is accept it. For those who haven't ex- uh, accepted this invite yet, I can assure you there is nothing in this world that can compare to the joy of having Jesus as the king of your life. That's why Jesus uses a wedding feast as an analogy. It's, it's a joyful occasion. It's a fun occasion. And I'm, I'm not going to lie to you and say that it's easy. Actually, the Bible tells us that we'll be hated for following Jesus. We may even lose our lives. But I guarantee you, 100% money-back guarantee, that you will experience a joy like you've never known. Maybe in this season, you're not sure if you want to follow this Jesus that we've talked about. Can I urge you? Do not hesitate. Don't say maybe in a few years, maybe when I'm ready, because that opportunity might not be there, because tomorrow is not guaranteed. There's no guarantee that you'll wake up tomorrow. Next slide, please. But the story isn't quite over yet. We get to this strange part of the parable. Verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited but few are chosen. You remember that story I told you about at the beginning of the sermon? The underdressed Asian guy? When you turn up to a wedding like that, what's it saying to the, to the bride and groom? What's your attitude saying to the person who organized the wedding? It's disrespectful. And it shows that you don't take the occasion very seriously. That you're not interested in the reason behind the uh, the wedding. You're actually there for the free food. Is that how you've been treating God and his invitation? I believe that this part of the passage applies to those of us who have been coming to church for a long time. But you don't serve regularly. You don't give generously. And you have no selfless love for your brothers and sisters. Maybe you come to church for the community, the friendship, because it makes you feel good. Don't get me wrong, these are all good things, but if that's the only reason why you come to church, you're missing the point. Maybe at one point you accepted Jesus and God was a king of your life, but now he's taken the back seat. If God is not the most important thing, the highest authority of your life, and you're not producing fruits, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, maybe you need to re-examine your relationship with God. And don't worry, I'm not having a go at you. Uh, Jesus is the one having a go at you. I'm in the same boat as everyone else here, and this applies, this message applies to me as well. So God the Father has invited us to his ultimate banquet, his kingdom. The question is, have you said yes? And if you've said yes, 
Have you come with the right heart and motive? I'm just going to finish up with a quote. John Piper says it like this. The critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you've ever had on earth and all the food that you've ever liked and all the leisure activities you've ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you've ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? Let's pray.